We welcome you to the 2021 Eschatology Series, a series that unfolds the power of ancient prophecies. Our series is based on the book of Revelation. Let's get started. Cause is not 
We want to welcome you to the Eschatology series, Unfolding the Power of Prophecy. Hi, my name is Dr. Stephen Finney, and I will be your teacher today. We are on number 67 in our series. It's titled, The Millennium Reign of Christ Jesus. With Satan and his demons and all rejected sinners out of the way, the millennial kingdom of peace and righteousness will be established. The supreme ruler in that kingdom will, of course, be the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone is King of kings and Lord of lords. If you need proof for that, just read Revelation 19, verse 16. And it says, The Lord God will give him alone the throne of his father David. More about that in Luke chapter 1, verse 32. Yet he has graciously promised that his saints will reign with him. They will rule subordinately over every aspect of life in the kingdom. And being glorified and perfected, they will perfectly carry out the will of of their husband, 
Jesus Christ. In this vision that John is having, he sees a panoramic of God's people resurrected, rewarded, and reigning with Christ. He saw thrones, symbolizing both judicial and regal authority, and God's people sat on them, and the judgment was given to them. The glorified saints will both enforce God's will and will judicate disputes. Let's take a look at our scripture for today. We're going to be reading a couple passages. The first one's going to be out of Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. The second one's going to be out of chapter 20, verse 6. It says, Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus, and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received the mark on their forehead and their hand, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The second verse is, Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. First, we need to take a look at the goal of the descendants of Ishmael. What is the goal of any authentic and serious descendant of Ishmael, Muslims, as regarding Christians? If you watch the news, you will know that their favorite way of persecution is through beheadings. The tradition of beheadings for Muslims is as old as the Muslim faith itself. If you ask why they practice such barbaric traditions... The answer you will get is that the Quran requires it of them to gain extra rewards, brownie points, in their paradise. In the Quran, the book of Sarah, chapter 8, verse 12 reads, I will cast dread into the hearts of the unbelievers, strike off their heads, and then strike off all of their fingertips. In the original text, the relevant phrase is, strike over their heads. The Muslim religion is one of the only systems, if not the only, that requires their followers to behead infidels, those who insult or deny Allah. Realistically, according to the discussions I had with an imam, Beheadings are specifically targeted at the Jewish and Christian infidels due to their assertion of claiming the God of Abraham as their own. That was his words. Many present-day historians are curious as to the Muslims' fascination with removing Israel from the map. Some say it is because of the Dome of the Rock while others say it is because of a long history of fighting over the Middle East and trying to gain dominance. Truth being said, it is much more simple than all of that. The war between these two tribes started back when the natural firstborn of Abraham, which was Ishmael, 
was chased out of the tribe of Abraham due to the illegitimate nature of Ishmael's conception. The firstborn status was given to Isaac by command of the Lord God of Abraham, who the Muslims consider to be his secondborn. Remembering that Isaac's son Jacob was renamed Israel by God, according to Genesis 32 verse 28, the Muslims believe that the nation of Israel is illegitimately obtained and fabricated by a God other than Allah. This is why they are daily, and I mean daily, fighting to remove Israel from the face of the map. To them, Israel is an illusion. You can pick up the paper tomorrow morning and read about wars that are going on in Israel between these two brothers. The Muslims believe that all of the land that Israel claims as their own belongs to them. Muslims believe that the natural seed takes precedent over an infidel woman, Sarah, who forced Ishmael and his mother out of Abraham's tribe. This is why they treat women like objects of destruction, strap suicide bombs to these women, and send them in as weapons of warfare. To keep it simple, Muslims do what they do because their beliefs are rights of the natural birthright of Ishmael. That's the bottom line of every news report you will read as you see this war between the brothers heating up on a daily basis. Now let's take a look at the War of the Brothers. If you look closely in the final chapters of Revelation, you will see all the signs and symptoms of the Brothers' War that started on the day Sarah demanded the removal of Ishmael and his mother, Hagar. From the Hebrew, Ishmael means God will hear. This is all the backup the descendants needed to fight the holy war of jihad generation after generation. One of the main practices and requirements of their holy war is that of beheading. By removing the individual's head, it can no longer connect to any god of the afterlife. At least that's what they believe. By removing their fingers, they can no longer sin against Allah in the afterlife. From what we can find in the scriptures, to be tortured for Christ holds a special spot in God's heart, particularly those who have been beheaded. When I state to Muslims that their practice of beheading Christians and Jews places the witness in higher honor before the God of Abraham it enrages them. The fact that this group of indwelled Christians is brought back to life and reign with Christ for a thousand years, and the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed, simply proves that these believers endured to the end. In Revelation 20 verse 5 it states, The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Let's review the resurrection of the just. The resurrection of the just 
is mentioned in Luke chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. And the resurrection unto damnation is mentioned in John chapter 5, verse 29. Now what's up with the resurrection spoken of in our passage? A topic rarely preached in our churches today is the separation of the resurrections. In fact, there's a strong possibility you have no clue what I'm talking about. As stated in our passage, this separation period is 1,000 years. When Jesus appears in his second coming, only the righteous will be raised, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. When he speaks of the beheading and their resurrection, he speaks of the same promise given to us earlier as indwelt believers, the resurrection of the just, which happens upon the second coming. When he comes at the end of the ages of man, only the unsaved or damned will be raised from the dead to be judged. This is what is being spoken of in our passage. Before this awesome millennium, the righteous will hear his voice through the indwelling life of Jesus inside the believer, which begins at salvation. At the millennium's close, all will hear his voice, the damned, unsaved, redeemed, saved, angels, demons, the beast, false prophet, and of course Satan himself. Every knee will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's right out of Romans chapter 14, verse 11. When the word says that Jesus is the resurrection in life, the original scriptures speak of this in a more detailed fashion than most are preaching about today. Jesus being the resurrection gives him the prerogative to call people back from the dead. That is power. For example, in John 11, Jesus called Lazarus by name, and he said, Dead, come forth. Well, believe it or not, every dead person would have come forth. But he called one man by his name, and one man came up from the grave. When it is said that Jesus calls the righteous to meet him in the air, that's called the rapture, only the righteous that are living at that time will be raised. Then at the end of the thousand-year reign, when he raises the damned, all the damned, unsaved, will come forth. John chapter 5, verses 25 through 27 say this, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Let's take a look at humanity and how they avoid the voice of God. The oddity that the greater percentage of humans spend throughout their entire lives simply avoid hearing the voice of the Father through Jesus Christ. In the end, 
being forced to hear his voice, absolutely every human, alive, dead, and all spiritual beings will hear his voice. For the Father has life, identity in himself, places that identity in his Son, and all those who have the indwelling life of Christ in them now have the identity of the Father. This is what permits them to be a part of the resurrection of the righteous. That would be you if you are an indwelt born-again Christian. The resurrection of righteous, which are all a part of Christ's resurrection, and consists of three separate groups, all bridal members of Christ, first being with Christ, the first fruits, indwelt Christians who have died before the rapture. You can find more about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 23. The second group, of course, that's the rapture. You can read about that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. The final group is those mentioned in this passage at the beginning of the millennium, the beheaded saints that found Christ during the tribulation. And of course, that is the 144,000 pure bloodline Jews. But the dam is not only a separate group. They are a separated people. Their resurrection is for the strict purpose of being judged for missing the mark, that of not receiving Christ as their life, each being tossed into the lake of fire with the beast and the false prophet. The reason that we, as members of Christ's bridal team, are given the privilege to reign with him during the thousand-year reign is we became one with him in the likeness of his death, burial, and resurrection. Secondly, we are the bride of the Great One of Judgment, Jesus Christ. This puts us in the position of not being affected by the second death, damnation. Those of us who are in Christ Jesus have been freed from the power of sin and death and all of the requirements that come with it. What an awesome honor and gift to be accepted into this position eternally, to be seated at the right hand of God in Christ Jesus. Toward the end of this thousand years, a few horrid things must unfold. The damned raised from the dead for judgment. The final war, damned tossed into the lake of fire, and Satan not only defeated in battle, all of those who have cursed the living God through the ages will be sharing fellowship in the lake of fire, tortured day and night for eternity. Let's take a look at this conclusive scene. Doomsday for Satan and his followers. In Revelation 20, verses 7 through 10, it says, When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints 
and the beloved city. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. As odd as it sounds, at the end of the thousand years, Satan will be released from his prison and again released to deceive the nations. This collective group of nations from the four corners of the earth is put under Gog and Magog's banner. This is because the entire world and its nations side with Gog, Northern, or Magog, Southern. Gog from the Hebrew means rebellious sons of Israel, and Magog in Hebrew means sons of Japheth. What that means is you have a group directly connected to the descendants of Abraham, and then the other group are the direct descendants of Japheth. If you're not familiar with the lineages that came from Noah's sons, Shem is the father of the Hebrew people. Japheth is the father of Europeans. Ham is the father of the descendants of black people. The historical note here is that the nations that gather with Gog are the direct descendants of Ishmael. They're probably some fake Jews, non-obedient Jews that are in that mix. And the descendants of Japheth are the people not directly related to the seed of Abraham. Japheth is known for setting in the northern region known as Europe, white and yellow-skinned people. The best way to remember Gog is the Islamic nation, and the best way to remember Magog is the European Union. Let's review Satan's purpose of deception. Satan's purpose of deceiving the nations is no different than it always has been to get the people to come against God. His plan is no different from that which he propagated in the Garden of Eden with Eve to deceive humans into thinking they can be little gods. As baffling as it is, Satan doesn't seem to get it. He loses. His method of madness is accusations ultimately accusing God of being the restrictively jealous one, not want humans to know self-independence. Well, in reality, Satan is the one who is jealous and desirous of starving the humans of the real story, real knowledge of the holy. When Satan unfolds his plan, millions the number of whom is as the sand of the sea, will all be deceived. This number is made up of the people born during the millennium. Since Israel and other nations will be in their natural bodies during this thousand-year reign, which I might add, have never had known temptation because Satan was in the pit for those thousand years. This gives Satan a fresh market of fresh flesh to deceive. After deceiving them, they all gathered together surrounding the camp where we as saints 
and Christ Jesus are sheltered in the great beloved city of Jerusalem. And before they even attempt to draw their swords, something horrific happens. Before we go on, let's try to capture this scene. All of those who have been blessed with passing the judgment of Christ, his beloved bride, are residing in the greatest city known to man, the city that has been fought over since the beginning of our time, Jerusalem. Under the watchful eye and protection of our husband, the city gets surrounded by millions of people, like sand on the seashore. You would think that there would be mass panic throughout all the children of God, but it doesn't. Each of us is resting in the promises of God. We have clearly seen God's power. We have clearly seen and experienced judgment, passing judgment, and being freed for eternity. We've watched God fulfill all of what he said he would do. And now we are faced with a sea of people who desire to see the elect consumed by the hate of their leader. Satan. The results, well, it's pretty nasty. In conclusion, do you remember the results of Sodom and Gomorrah? Within the blink of an eye, these two cities were consumed by fire from heaven, as if a nuclear bomb was dropped from the sky. The destruction is sudden, certain, and complete. Every single person who is not identified in and through Jesus Christ, like a flood scene, everyone but the people of righteousness are swept away in this final despair. Sad to say these people do not have momentary affliction or a quick death, but these flames rather torture them for eternity. Moments after these rebels were torched, Satan was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet were also. Finally, they're all together, all the rebels and their leader. But this time, in sharing in the moment of torment and destruction and despair forever and ever, it is finished. Coming up next... Number 68, Judgment at the Great White Throne. The Great White Throne of Judgment is certainly the greatest and certainly will be the most traumatic. The reason why it is the greatest is because God will be punishing those who directly came against His Son, insulted His bride, and have rebelled from Him from the beginning. This particular judgment is also what brings closure to humanity as we know it today. No one survives this judgment outside of the Bride of Christ. It's going to be a sad day for humanity. We hope that you decide to join us for that particular episode. We are getting very, very close to finishing off our series We want to remind you that our up-and-coming series is called The Mystery of Ancient Prophecies, a full-on study of the prophecies stated in the Old Testament, how it sets up for the New Testament, and how it is concluded in the book 
of Revelation. Thank you again for joining us. We look forward to having you be a part of this new series. Until next time.